Welcome to Fusion Fantasy Football. Welcome back. Yes, this is part two with John Hogue at Superflex Dude, talking more quarterbacks, more Superflex stuff. Let's go. Okay, John, I'm going to move to a couple questions here I had from you. I'd ask the guys. Um, they typically give me some ridiculous questions, such as this one. <laughs> Why are quarterbacks so overvalued in Superflex? <laughs> ah, I think that was a troll question. They're not. <laughs> Um, yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're really not, but, um, would you say there's a difference between, uh, dynasty or redraft for that answer? Uh, yeah, there is a difference. Um, you know, any, anyone who's, you know, taking quarterbacks, Super early in a redraft league. And it now, I mean, we have to qualify this. It all depends on your league. You know, I've got a, I've got a two QB league, um, a, a home league where, you know, I know, I know that people are going to take quarterbacks early. They probably shouldn't, but they're going to. And, you know, so I know that if I want Pat Mahomes, I've got to take him in the first round. Um, you know, I have to hope that I get an early enough pick to take him in the first round. Um, but yeah, overall, in in redraft, you can really kind of you know you bump them up a little bit because they they do have more value. Um, you know, there's there's trade value there, but uh, you know there you you really still kind of take the the late round quarterback approach. It's just not quite as late as it used to be. It's not the game of chicken that it used to be. Um, but in a in a redraft superflex league, I think that you still you still somewhat employ that late round QB strategy. But in dynasty, you know the there's there's a huge difference. Like in dynasty, to me, you start taking quarterbacks right away, and it's because you know first of all, there's there's the currency. There's so I actually I started writing this article, um, a series of articles for DynastyLeagueFootball.com called the Superflex Life, and um, there's I I just wrote uh, volume three yesterday, which I call the Tau of Superflex, and I don't want to give a give too much of it away, but essentially, kind of what it boils down to is, um, you know, there there's. You know, in uh, when it comes to uh, dynasty players, there's value and there's production. There's currency and there's utility. And you know, the what we're really what we really want is kind of the merger of the two. And when you merge those two things, you know, you look at the fact that quarterbacks, you know, that in terms of production, they score, you know, roughly twenty points a week every single week. They don't get benched. They don't get hurt. I mean, they, they, you know, that's not totally true, but generally speaking, considering there's only 32 of them, they, they, you know, they hold their job pretty well and they stay on the field pretty well, especially compared to, you know, running back in particular. Um, so, I mean, so in terms of production, you know that you have to have two quarterbacks because they're going to score 20 points a week, regardless of who they are, you know? Then you talk about the value piece, which is, 
you know, it's based on scarcity. There's only 32 of them in a given week. There's, you know, if you're in a 12-team league, in order for everybody to have three quarterbacks on roster, half the league isn't even going to have, you know, three starting quarterbacks. They're going to have, you know, someone's going to get Tyrod Taylor and someone else is going to get Justin Herbert. And, you know, they're they're kind of hoping that Herbert takes over the starting job before they hit bye weeks, essentially. So yeah, I have a you know the, I have a two QB league, home league yeah. dynasty, and yeah, I understand that because you run into there's once you start hitting buys, there's four teams that don't have a fat third guy they can start. Yeah, yeah. So they can't they can't submit a valid lineup. So uh, two QB leagues are are tough for me. I almost think that you have to do like 10 teams or fewer <laughs> with 2QB. It 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 really inflates the value in 2QB. Superflex at least in theory, you know, that one week you could you could potentially replace one of your quarterbacks at the superflex position with a non-quarterback. You know, he'll score you some points. He'll, you know, and maybe you even get lucky and he scores, you know, 10 to 15 points. It's still not going to be as good as it would be if you had a quarterback there. But, you know, you can at least get something. You're not just absolutely dead in the water. Um, but, but I mean, we do know that you have to, you, you want quarterback at Superflex, you know, as much as you possibly can. Um, you know, we, we know that, you know, so, you know, therefore just having two quarterbacks isn't good enough. And then, you know, on top of that, once you start talking about Dynasty, these guys you know, they hold their value for such a long time. Uh, and, you know, the fact that they're still scarce, there's nowhere that you can go get a quarterback other than to trade. And it's going to stay that way, you know, for kind of a while. There there will be a little bit of turnover uh, in, uh, you know, in the off season. But for the most part, these guys just hold their value um, year over year. And, so, you know, not only do you get the current the the currency of the production and the production the currency of the scarcity, you also get that currency for a much larger, much longer window than you do with any other position. So that's why I say, man, like I I I know that it feels like they're overvalued, but there's a reason that that, that the value is so high. And it's because they produce, they're scarce, they're hard to come by. You're not going to go find another one very easily, which makes them very valuable. And they keep their jobs for a long time, which means that they hold the value. And I've been on both sides of that situation where, actually, I've most often seen it, it can be tricky because usually the leagues that I don't draft a lot or or high quarterback is I'm kind of going for a win now kind of situation. And so I'm investing those picks, you know, in in running backs and, and that kind of thing early, at least the early picks. And so it's it's like you get to the point where you may have success those early year or two, but then what I what's happened is with that success, I'm not getting an early round rookie pick unless I've traded for it, you know. Mm -hmm. 
And so I can't usually now draft a young quarterback to refill my ranks. And so you really, if you do go that way, I've really had to be diligent and intentional about uh, trying to acquire random firsts and just hope that it's low or going after these, you know, Daniel Jones, Josh Allen's, even Lamar Jackson when they, and, and this year maybe be Justin Herbert who slip into the second half or even early uh, second. Um, so you really have to sometimes even overpay, but you have to refill and get that stock of, of quarterbacks. You know, it can be even Gardner Minshew's. So you really have to be intentional about committing maybe extra roster spots to quarterbacks if they aren't going to be expensive ones that you know are starters. And you're going to have to play that game if you're going with the, you know, the, the, the later round quarterback. But if you aren't on top of that, and if you know you can't be, you'd better be taking the good guys because you're going to be left in between. You're out in the cold and you're you're not going to have anybody because everybody else has been working and being intentional and they have the Gardner Minshew on their bench already or they have all the good quarterbacks and they're not trading you away. They're not trading him away to you for any anything less than like a starting running back. Uh, and so now you're in between and that's not where you want to be. So even if I, I often disagree with you about, you know, valuing how I value some of these guys or who I would take ahead or how many of them I would draft, uh, you still have to admit and and come to terms with the, how valuable they are and, and at least have a plan to deal with that. Because um, mm-hmm. if you're not if you're not aware of it and if you're not staying on top of it, you're going to get in a bad situation real quick. Another question, uh, how much, a bit of a two-party here actually, so we'll go with the first part. This is from Justin. How much improvement can we expect from Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins? And he has a follow-up on Haskins. Can we trust, uh, actually it's Locke or Haskins, to be a viable QB2 since we can get them at such a cheaper price? So he's trying to play that game a little bit too, but maybe you think that they can become real, true quarterback twos. Yeah, I think I so as far as improvement, Kyler Murray is it's hard to ask for a lot of improvement. He finishes a QB eight. You know, I I don't think that adding DeAndre Hopkins does quite what people think that it does. Um, but you know, I I fully acknowledge that, you know, you do have an alpha wide receiver who you can you know, who you can lean on when you need a completion, you need a first down, you need a touchdown. Um, it, it it has to help Kyler Murray's numbers. I just don't think, I I don't know that there's a lot of room for Kyler Murray to, to improve here in year two. The, the ceiling is, I mean, you know, through the roof, um, <laughs> through the stratosphere, but um, you know, what's the likelihood that he actually gets to a ceiling? I, to me, it's more, um, you know, I, I, I think the QB eight is probably his floor, which is, you know, that's pretty damn good. Um, uh, but as far as improvement, uh, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, maybe top, a, a top five QB, 
is kind of what we're looking for. And it's, you know, it's not a huge jump, um, but that's just a credit like, to what quarterback three. He's often going like quarterback three yeah. or four. So it's almost like it's too high. You can't improve that, on that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's too high. So yeah, I mean, value wise, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that he's not likely to improve enough to live up to his value. It's, it's very unlikely. It's possible, but it's very unlikely. Um, Daniel Jones is, Daniel Jones is a tough one for me. (laughs) It's, it's, and it, it really kind of comes down to, you know, you've got Joe judge, um, is the head coach. You've got Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator. I think Jason Garrett might be, you know, a, a, one of those guys who not great as a head coach, um, also got way too comfortable in Dallas, but you know, maybe he's not great as a head coach, but as an offensive coordinator, he might be, you know, he, he might be one of the best in the game. And, uh, I I guess the the question kind of becomes what wins out, you know Joe Judge's approach, which we we've seen that, you've seen it firsthand, you know with the Patriots, um, or you know Jason Garrett's approach, and you know that that's going to be. That's where there's a ton of volatility with Daniel Jones. There there there's a wide range of outcomes there. He also I I don't like his receiving core either. I love Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram when he's healthy. The rest of those guys just do nothing for me. Um, you know, and obviously Barkley out of the backfield. So um, I I don't know that he has the weapons to improve a whole lot on what he did as a rookie. Um, and I also just have questions as far as you know the the scheme, what what that's going to look like. So I wouldn't count on very much improvement on Daniel Jones either. Um, Drew Locke is interesting <laughs> because, you know, uh, weapons everywhere. Um, you know, now a full off season, even though it's a coronavirus off season, it's still, he's still had some extra time with Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant. Now Jerry Judy, um, you know, KJ Hamler, uh, he, he, uh, you know, he gets, a, a another very good weapon out of the backfield, uh, particularly at catching the ball in Melvin Gordon. Um, and then the big thing, the big acquisition for them is Pat Shermer, the new offensive coordinator. It, 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 it's, it's kind of similar to the giants. I don't know, you know, if the Vic Fangio, you know, hard-nosed football run the ball and play good defense if that wins out or or if pat Shermer wins out but we saw what pat Shermer did with daniel jones last year and you know he he definitely knows how to to tailor an offense to a young quarterback especially one who's mobile who has a live arm and who has weapons everywhere so I'm I'm pretty excited about Drew Locke. I think that that could be your breakout guy for the year. You know, your year two breakout guy. And then Dwayne Haskins is uh, another another real question mark. Um, not a great, you know, not a not a great wide receiving core. Um, Terry McLaurin, I think, is you know he's got he's got top five 
you know, dynasty wide receiver written all over him. But what do you got beyond that? You know, so. Hey, don't talk about, don't talk bad about Antonio Gandy Golden. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he's. And they lost Kelvin Harmon with the ACL too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I, I just have a really hard time trusting a rookie wide receiver. It's not even that yeah. I, that I don't, like Antonio Gandy Golden, it's just you know what are we going to get from him in year one? It's it's hard to you know it's hard to project him for much. Uh, yeah, I would no, imagine. I'm, I'm so. half joking. I've I've kind of said before. Yeah. I could kind of see. I've kind of hoping for and projecting like a little bit of a uh like the Kenny Galladay's first season kind of breakout where mm-hmm. you have some big games. It looks really pretty, but doesn't doesn't always get the consistency or the volume he'd like you you would have liked like that's kind of a best case scenario i think for for agg and that's kind of i, I like yeah. it but we'll, we'll see um and it, i think that that kelvin Harmon actually that loss is going to hurt him because he was somebody who could actually give him some consistent volume and so mm-hmm. it's gonna, they're going to be kind of stuck back to where they were last year um yeah, they have they have a lot going on too. I mean, you know, there's a lot of off the field stuff all of a sudden. There's you know the name and the the ownership stuff. Um, you know, they they the Trent Williams saga finally came to an end. They you know they get a new coach um, with with Ron Rivera. There's just there's a lot going on. Uh, yeah. a, a lot of a lot of turmoil, and that feel that that those are hard things to overcome for a young quarterback. So, you know, I, I think that, um, we keep the expectations low with Dwayne Haskins, but I think out of this entire group, he's, he might be the, I, I I don't want to get, I, I don't want to go too far with my platitudes here, but I, I think that Dwayne Haskins could be a very, very sneaky breakout candidate here. Um, he's certainly not the one that we expect, but I think that he's just as likely, if not more so than the rest of these guys, especially considering he's the clear cut cheapest of them all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, going back to drew Locke, Um, I, I agree how, you know, they got Shermer there. I think that's, that says good things for the offense being like you said tailored to young quarterback but also they're gonna i think use melvin gordon he's somebody i, I like i uh, i wonder um, he just didn't seem like he was that good you described him <laughs> very very uh generously complimentary talking about how mm-hmm. he's mobile he's got a live arm did you yep. see so when you saw that when i see it i see not that great a quarterback, another one of these Denver quarterbacks, right? Who mm-hmm. have some promise, have some good games, but just don't look that great. What does he have that you think is is going to develop? You know, what is it that, uh, what is it you see in him that you think he can get to that level, next level? Um, I mean, I I think that he, I thought that he played well. I honestly did. Um, but the big thing is, so I, I'm a Broncos fan 
And um, I always feel like I have to qualify that part before I start talking about Drew Locke. Um, but, you know, a, a big part of it is, you know, this isn't just Homerism because when they initially made the pick, I absolutely hated it. I saw the exact same evaluation process that go into the Drew Locke pick. And it, it, not only that, I mean, they, they so they started off with a 10th overall pick. They trade down to 20, and they still don't take him there. They still don't take a quarterback. They go Noah Fant, which, great pick. Then in the second round, they've got one pick, and they take Dalton Reisner, a guard. And then they have to trade back up and finally take their quarterback. It's like, how, how excited are you really if you passed on him three times, including a trade down in the first round? Um, but not only that, I saw the same evaluation process go into the Drew Locke pick that I saw you know, when they picked Paxton Lynch. They were looking for the exact same thing when in you know the exact same qualities that they looked for that led them to Paxton Lynch led them to Drew Locke and I hated that I hated that they're still looking for a big dumb quarterback who you know who can run around and who can throw the ball down the field what what we ended up actually seeing though was you know the 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 there was a big difference so First of all, uh, Paxton Lynch was running a much easier offense, and he still was not able to consume the playbook. It just it was like a foreign language to him. Um, he would hold the ball for way too long, and when he did, you know, when he did move around, it wasn't to extend the play. He was looking to take off and run. He didn't want to throw the ball because he didn't know where to throw it. He didn't understand the, you know, the side adjustments. He didn't understand the reads and he didn't understand uh, the assignments. So, you know, the, the goal for him was to just stand in the pocket, hold the ball until until the pocket breaks down so he can take off and run because he's too dumb to do anything else. Drew Locke, on the other hand was given a very intricate offense run by Rich Scangarello, basically the, the Kyle Shanahan offense. And he, you know, he, he, he learned it and he ran it very, very well, including, you know, making those reads, making those side adjustments. And, uh, you know, when the, he, he would stand in the pocket and even if the pocket did break down, even if he was flushed, he was still rolling out trying to extend the play. He wasn't looking to run. He was just looking to extend the play. He was looking down the field and looking for somebody to throw to. Where Paxton Lynch, Paxton Lynch was never looking for his targets. He was just looking for a running lane. So, you know, I, I just see a, a much more polished, much more intelligent quarterback um, he does have the arm talent, I, I, and I don't think that part was ever a question. You know, I think the mobility and the arm talent, those were two things that everybody knew Drew Locke was going to have. The question was, was, you know, can he run an NFL offense? Can he learn an NFL offense? Can he cut down the interceptions and make good decisions? And I think that we saw all that. And again, it was in a very difficult offense to learn, and, and he picked it up very quickly. 
All right. Well, maybe I'll have to come around a little on on Drew Locke. Um, I I like I like Cortland Sutton. Uh, I, I was high on him. I'm, I'm, what do you think about Jerry Judy? I I'm not sure what to think of him. I wasn't convinced quite as much as a lot of people in in the rookie uh, process. I know a lot of people thought he was even the number one wide receiver. So, what were you your thoughts on that pick? Uh, I'm I'm I was kind of with you. Um, you know, I I didn't necessarily see kind of you know number one wide receiver alpha status with him. I you know very crisp route running, but um, you know and and you know good soft hands, but. Uh, I, I don't know. I just didn't see a guy who's necessarily going to be able to create separation. Um, I didn't see a guy who's, you know, who's, a, a who's going to win a lot of contested balls. Um, but I, I think that he lands in a very good situation where he doesn't have to do any of that. You know, Cortland Sutton is, is your, um, he's your deep ball guy. He's your jump ball guy. They they stopped calling it 50-50 balls <laughs> here in Denver, and they called it 60-40 balls because he wins it more often than not. Um, you know, so and and I think Cortland Sutton's going to draw the tougher coverage. So so I think you know as much as I didn't love Jerry Judy's tape, um, I'm with you. In in it's splitting hairs, of course. Um, you know, I, it's a it's a very strong wide receiver class, and you know, you can find flaws with a lot of these guys and, um, you know, some, somehow you have to differentiate these guys and that's kind of what we're doing with Jerry Judy. We're not saying that he's a bad wide receiver. It's just, you know, in the context of this rookie class, was he better than CD lamb? I didn't feel that way at any point. Um, but I think that he lands in a very good situation here where he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be better than C.D. Lamb. He doesn't have to be better than Cortland Sutton, even. Yeah, I think he can eventually be. Uh, I kind of compare him to. He can eventually be like a mini Calvin Ridley to yeah. Cortland Sutton's mini Julio, but because because Cortland Sutton, as far as young wide receivers, he's like the closest thing to one of these archetypal, you know, wide receiver, big bodied, fast Julio Calvin. He's the closest thing to as far as the young wide receivers we have that fits that kind of old school mold, I think. Um, mm-hmm. we There's not a lot of those. A lot of the newer guys are the C.D. Lambs, are the, I mean, Harry, Nikhil Harry could kind of fall in that if he, if he does anything. But these, you know, 6'4", kind of big guys who are also fast and go up and get the ball, uh, I don't know, it kind of seems like they haven't been as popular, just probably just, the way the personnel is, they just haven't been coming out in this these last few classes. That's all, and we'll probably see a bunch of them in a few years or something like that. But, uh, so that's why I kind of compare it. It could be kind of a mini Atlanta, but to do that, they've got to have a quarterback who can, can who can throw it consistently, who can they can give enough volume to actually make it worth it, like like Atlanta does with Matt Ryan. And so I, it kind of comes back to me with that my doubt of Drew Locke kind of reinforces my doubt for Jared Judy. Yeah. Something I've been looking at is how there's a few wide receivers than ADP and so on that seem to be falling, and I it doesn't make sense to me. 
And there seems to be the only common thread that I can find is the answer people give is, well, I don't like X and the quarterback, whoever the quarterback is. And mm-hmm. so even Cortland Sutton could be one of those. Uh, well, I'm down on Cortland Sutton because of, of Drew Locke. I'm down on Terry McLaurin because of Haskins. I'm down on Keenan Allen. Oh, my goodness. Falling <laughs> down in like wide receiver 22 or something like that. Because just because they don't think Tyrod Taylor or or Herbert can can support him, um, I'm first of all just skeptical of that kind of philosophy and approach of of that uh, that that it's so quarterback driven. I've come over more to the belief that it's a lot more fifty fifty the quarterback and his weapons his particularly receivers um, and not so much just driven by how good the quarterback is. Uh, I picture it as a bit of a bell curve that, yeah, there are those quarterbacks, the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers, who can take anybody and can enhance it and make them better. But that's what makes them elite. The vast majority of the quarterbacks at the top of the, you know, the bell curve there they are as much a product of their weapons as they are their own ability. Uh, and, of course, coaching and everything else are always factors. Do you think, I mean, how how much do you weigh that when you're looking at these wide receivers or even the quarterbacks? Maybe because you're the quarterback guy more than I am, maybe you're already thinking this and you're you're the other way around where you're evaluating quarterbacks not so much on their talent, but looking at their weapons. I don't know. What, what's your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's very well said, actually. I, you know, it, to me, it's it does a lot more for the quarterback than it does for the wide receiver. You know, I think, uh, you know, I, I, there's something to be said for quality of target, I suppose. But, um, you know, the 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 one that I really like to point to is the New Orleans Saints last year with, you know, Michael Thomas with that ridiculous catch rate. Uh, he loses Drew Brees for what four, almost five games, essentially five games, and still continued to produce it at essentially the same clip with Teddy Bridgewater, which you know the the wide receivers that you mentioned, DJ Moore. Now he gets Teddy Bridgewater, um, so. You know, if it, I, I think that there's we've got some proof of concept with Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater that he locks in on that number one wide receiver. And I think that that's what bad quarterbacks do more than the good quarterbacks, actually, is they, yes. you know, they they pick that one guy and really kind of focus on him. You know, so or in, in not even bad quarterbacks, sometimes young quarterbacks. You know, I think Joe Burrow is going to, I mean, he really kind of benefits from having both A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd on the field at the same time. But, I mean, I think that he's going to rely pretty heavily on them. Justin Herbert is going to rely on Keenan Allen quite a bit. Now, you know, the depth of target could be like that. That's the only thing that, and again, like I said, the quality of targets. Those are the only things that really concern me when it comes to a wide receiver. But, you know, at the end of the day, it the the target volume is still going to be there, which is, 
You know, that's that's the big thing that we're looking for. And then, you know, late in the game, down in the red zone, you know, the those those when the those those you know, those situations in the throughout a game where the pressure cooker gets turned way up on a quarterback, you know, they're going to be they're gonna look for that guy, that safe guy who gets open who catches everything, you know, you don't have to make a perfect pass. So, you know, I, 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 yeah, if anything, I think that bad quarterbacks help good wide receivers, um, more than anything. I, I think, you know, like you said, I think that the wide receivers affect the quarterbacks way more than the quarterbacks affect the wide receivers. Yeah. And unless you've got a quarterback low enough on that bell curve, right? If we're using that, to me, that cutoff point—that's where we've seen, uh, we've seen some quarterbacks still, even bad ones, still succeed with a good receiver like DeAndre Hopkins. How many bad quarterbacks did he have? But we found the line when he had Brock Osweiler, and even even DeAndre Hopkins couldn't be good with Osweiler. Um, <laughs> yeah. maybe we saw that with, uh, what I can't even remember his name. The, there was of course Rudolph, but the other Pittsburgh, uh, quarterback, you know, maybe he, he was on the oh, other yeah, side Hodges. of the line too. Right. Yeah. So maybe yep. that that's where we got to look out. But most of the guys we're talking about going into a season as being starters, uh, there's exceptions, of course, Osweiler, but, most of the guys, I don't think there's anyone who qualifies this year. We all kind of saw that with Osweiler, and we all looked at that, and we all kind of cringed. But I don't can't think of anyone in that situation this year. The closest one I can think of is Tyrod Taylor, if you think he's going to start the season. You even, in mentioning this, you just skipped straight to Herbert. Do you think that mm-hmm. uh, he's just going to start, or do you think you, you just don't think Tyrod's going to last long? I I actually think that there's a good chance that Tyrod Taylor holds that starting job all season. Um, I just don't think that Tyrod's a particular, you know, a particularly bad quarterback. So um, he's a, he's maybe you know he might be a little bit safe, but you know that again that kind of helps Keenan Allen more than anything. But you know with this with this coronavirus shortened off season. Um, you know, the lack of, of, you know, time in meeting rooms and time in, um, you know, team activities, it's going to be that much harder for Justin Herbert to, you know, get up to speed and to get on the field. Plus this is a, a roster that's built to win. Um, they're built to contend. They're built to make a run at the playoffs. And, you know, I don't think that you waste what you've got there on a rookie quarterback, especially when you've got an option like Tyrod Taylor. I think that, you know, I, I think that he's good enough to, uh, to keep them on track and, and, you know, keep them competitive. And, uh, you know, I think they, they would have to fall out of contention, um, before Justin Herbert gets on the field. And if they're able to stay competitive, um, you know, I think this could be kind of a Pat Mahomes type of scenario where, you, you know, week 17 rest week, you finally get to see Justin Herbert for a game. And then, 
you know, and then it's right back to Tyrod Taylor once they get to the playoffs. And then next year, Tyrod or uh, Justin Herbert takes over. Yeah, I agree. Uh, hey, wake up, listener. Hey, audience. Okay. Actionable info, guys. <laughs> hey, wake up. So we're going to give you some good stuff here because <laughs> I hope you're paying attention. Yeah, Tyrod Taylor. Uh, I've had some back and forths on Twitter recently. And my only conclusion, and I had um, Freak Amarante on when we were debating about uh, Austin Eckler. This is a pro-Austin Eckler podcast. Uh, it's also a pro-Keenan Allen podcast here. Um, <laughs> th- I don't think Tyrod Taylor is going to be that bad for either one of them. And in some ways, mm-hmm. like you said with Keenan, it could even uh, enhance his target share. The question is just volume. Even then, I'm kind of looking into it, and we don't know what Tyrod Taylor is. The largest sample size we have from Tyrod Taylor is Buffalo Bills Rex Ryan head coach, Buffalo Bills. Uh, I don't know what conclusions I can trust from that, because how much of that really was Tyrod Taylor, and how much was that just the way that Rex Ryan ran everything? That's how he ran the Jets with Sanchez. I mean, it's... It's the same thing. And maybe that just also fit Tyrod. But we also saw Tyrod come out and throw 30, 40 times in you know a game with the Browns and peppering Landry with targets. So, mm-hmm. But that's like two, three games. What can you gather from that either? I just don't know if we know what Tyrod is other than just being a capable starter who can get the ball out. He supported a rookie Sammy Watkins for half a season to get him all the way up to, I mean, he was on wide receiver one pace for the, when he was playing Sammy Watkins. Uh, I think he played 13 games and was somewhere around wide receiver 18 or something like that, that season. So it's not like he can't support someone. So the point is I woke you up to make sure you heard don't <laughs> sleep on Keenan Allen. What are you doing he is not – I saw some ridiculous clickbait today. I'm not – I share I share freely sources, recommendations. I'm not saying who this was. Uh, Keenan Allen's going to finish outside the top 36. What? Are you, Excuse me? No, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Not clicking that. Um, he's a wide receiver one talent. He was wide receiver six last year. You can knock it and say that was just because he played all 16 games. And, oh, okay, boo-hoo. He was a wide receiver eight points per game. Okay. So, so sad. Um, Yeah, don't sleep on Keenan (laughs) Allen. But I've been looking in general to use this uh, principle, and that's why I wanted to pass it by you to try and see if I can gain some value on a lot of these receivers, go out and get them at, at a discount for some reason more is being taken too late in drafts like you named sutton i i do find where sutton's going there's often someone else i want more such as keenan allen so i i seem to miss out on him uh, at least in redraft settings i i would be a little bit more more apt to do it in in a dynasty startup um is there any other names? I was trying to think. I had more than this somewhere at one point, but was there any other names or players that you could think would fall under that that are getting a discount? You work with ADP a lot, so maybe you would be familiar. Um, off the, the top here. of my head. 
Um, man, yeah, that's a that's a kind of tough one. Um, we're looking more for wide receivers, right? Yeah, because that's kind of where people go with when when they're discounting the sky because they look at the quarterback. So let's just look at maybe some of these quarterbacks that we have questions about. We already mentioned some of them. Haskins. So, I mean, McLaurin probably should be being taken sooner than he gets taken. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much of a, a value edge there is there. Probably not nearly as much as there is for Keenan right now. Um, it's hard with Daniel Jones to pick out one guy. So I kind of I, I don't really want to go there. With Kyler Murray, oh, he's got Hopkins now, so it's it's not not really going to go there either. It's too obvious. I'm yeah. trying to think any other questionable quarterbacks around the league that people are doubting. Man, uh, Derek Carr, but I don't know that there's anything actionable there. Um, I think yeah. Stephon Diggs is probably a guy who's who's being very underrated, you know, because of the quarterback and, and, you know, it's, it's somewhat fair because it's somewhat warranted. There's some accuracy issues for Josh Allen, but, um, Stefan Diggs, I think can kind of overcome some of that. He's, he's a good enough wide receiver that, um, that he's gonna, he's gonna overcome that and still, you know, flirt with, you know, mid-level wide receiver two to low-end wide receiver one type of numbers no that is a good one and that you're speaking right to me because you're speaking right through my josh allen bias uh not one of my favorite quarterbacks and not someone i was thinking of because we (laughs) we have him ranked highly as a fantasy quarterback but that's just because of fantasy points he's not someone we would rank up there as a passer and so you're right. This that does absolutely fit. Um, and I was someone who had a lot of John Brown last year and really, you know, enjoyed his production there, kind of under the radar. And uh, wow, yeah, yeah, Dix. I was looking at yeah. that, and I I did kind of, I, I, maybe it just hadn't quite opened my eyes to it, but I do remember looking at it and thinking that you know he can put up a solid two hundred point season still. Um, yep. And possibly so. still exceed that. I mean, I may be even undervaluing him still. A lot of variation on that one. It's, it's, it's definitely got risk, but, um, yeah, it could definitely blow up if he just does what John Brown did, but with, but, but, but a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So going back, I'm going to circle around a little bit. Uh, I'm going to use, we're going to go through this. We're going to approach it by looking at Scott Fishpole scoring and the way that it did the quarterbacks. And it's something I've been looking at lately. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really piqued my interest. So for those listening, if you don't know, Scott Fishpole this year with SFBX 10, what he did was give it uh, points. And I've spoken on this, past podcast that and i complimented the kind of the genius of it because i've been in leagues that kind of gave uh, an arbitrary threshold of a 65 or 66 percent and you just got you know points if you were above or negative points if you were below but that, that was pretty crude compared to what scott's done where he bypassed the completion rate um 
and just went with giving points for completions and incompletions, which, of course, you do the math. That is what completion rate's based on. So it's it's one point, uh, sorry, it's half a point for completion, and it is negative one full point for an incompletion, which, if you do the math, comes out to two completions equaling one incompletion, or 66% completion rate becomes that threshold where you're either uh, netting a positive or a negative points from this aspect of the scoring. What that does is it makes a lot of uh, it makes a lot of quarterbacks that are good normally in most normal standard scoring not good in Scott Fishbowl X. Uh, for example, if Jameis Winston if this was last year and Jameis Winston, he would no longer be a top five back. I think he would drop somewhere to like wide receiver 18 or something like that crazy. Uh, he's the most, the, the biggest example because it also penalizes uh, sacks and interceptions a little stronger. This scoring is very harsh on quarterbacks, basically. So what happens is that it's a very uh, real possibility to have your quarterback putting up single digits, or even falling into the negatives. Um, and it's actually one reason why probably I've been down on Aaron Rodgers lately a little bit more than I should have because I was looking at things through a Scott Fishbowl scoring uh, perspective a lot more more recently. And he's someone I really... Uh, I kind of made a I made a tweet where I could put out predictions of you know what what's the winner for SFXBX going to look like, and I almost put in there will not have Aaron Rodgers, but he could be their quarterback too, so I I, I didn't do it, but to me he doesn't have the volume and he had that lower completion rate, and so it just seemed to me a lot of people were really high on him, um, in. Scott Fishbowl, and it didn't really make sense to me. Uh, I even heard one person say that this scoring was made for him, and I was like, what? Um, I heard you and your podcast say you got sniped on him. I think I think you, you, <laughs> should, be, you should be drafting a thank you letter to that guy um, for, for saving you. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Scott Fishbowl, just real quick, on how it impacts... Uh, the scoring and impacts our just our perception on on these quarterbacks changes the way that we have to even approach it yeah and you know so uh, another big part uh, another big part of it is it's also negative four for interceptions negative six for a pick six and negative uh, negative one more if it's a interception for a touchdown yep yeah and then uh, you also lose a point if they get sacked. So the big thing with Aaron Rodgers was, you know, he's he's not always close on the uh, completion percentage. Um, he's usually, I think, you know, in the neighborhood of 62, 64 um, percent, which, you know, he's he's going to come out uh, in a negative most weeks just in terms of the uh, the completion percentage. But. He doesn't throw interceptions. You know, it's it's generally like four of them a season. You know, so one every four weeks. Um, 
he's he's very clean with the football. He doesn't take a lot of sacks either. And, you know, so those are kind of big things. Like you're you're really just kind of looking for for guys who are going to make positive plays. I personally didn't feel like it it hurts the running quarterbacks quite as much as as a lot of people say. You know, I think that um they can kind of make up for um a low completion percentage with a low number of attempts and you know make up for it with yardage um particularly running the ball um you you do get uh i think it's half a point for a rushing first down so you know i think there there's still ways for those running quarterbacks to to make up those points um, you know, you think about somebody like Aaron Rodgers, who's, you know, not as, certainly not as mobile as he used to be. Um, you know, the, the, the completion percentage, he's, he still makes that up with the yardage, um, with the touchdowns. So, you know, it's, it, I, I don't know. Sometimes I, I felt like the, uh, the scoring got a little overblown to be totally honest. A lot of people were just all over Drew Brees because, you know, he missed, you know, again, essentially four and a half games, or essentially five games in 2019 and still finished as the quarterback two uh, in, uh, I believe is in points per game. And he was still kind of, I think he was like top five in total scoring, if I remember right, something like that um, in Scott Fishbowl scoring. And, you know, so there were a lot of people saying, you know, you got you have to have Drew Brees. That's the way you win this. You have to have Drew Brees. And I just I, I never got on board with that. It's it, it, to me like Lamar Jackson was still the quarterback one overall, both in points per game and in uh, total scoring. Um, he was the number one player. Overall, I believe I think he still outscored Christian McCaffrey in this in this scoring, if I remember right. And, you know, it's he he wasn't a particularly great passer. I mean, there was there were some outlier numbers for sure. But at the end of the day, that's what you're looking for. Who's going to have the monster season? And I don't think Drew Brees has that upside. I think that those running quarterbacks, there are several of them who still have that upside. I ended up with Kyler Murray. Um, I, I really wanted Dak Prescott as my QB one, and uh, it didn't happen. Um, I missed out on him, so I ended up with Kyler Murray as my quarterback one. And I, like like I said earlier, you know, I think that you know the most likely scenario is probably a little bit of of. Uh, uh, improvement for Kyler Murray in year two, but he's got the 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 ceiling. He's got the potential for that number one quarterback overall season, and I think that that's what you need to chase in Scott Fishbowl scoring. I I don't think that you worry too much about you know completion percentage. I I you know I think that what you really want to try and come up with is, you know, who's, who has the best chance to have that, you know, that overall, that quarterback one overall season, because keep in mind, I mean, you're, you're trying to beat a, a, you know, over 1400 other people (laughs) and, you know, finishing second place, finishing dead last, there's absolutely no difference. 
you know, the only one that anyone's going to remember is who wins first place. So I don't, I don't want safe. I don't want, you know, who's, who's gonna, you know, give me, uh, keep me, you know, in positive points every single week. I, I don't care about that stuff. I don't care about Drew Brees. I don't care about Derek Carr. I know I don't care about who's safe because this is not the tournament to play it safe. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that the scoring might've been a little overblown if I'm being totally honest. No, I, I agree with that a little bit. Um, what it kind of made me wonder is, uh, well, I guess just to back up a little bit, does does it bother you with, and this could go, I see it in both ways, in, in regular, more standard uh, scoring for quarterbacks, sometimes we see quarterbacks that aren't, that we don't really think of as being good NFL quarterbacks being up at the top. And so you can have, uh, or maybe even not just, maybe they're good for the NFL, but we don't really think them as being skillful, skillful quarterbacks even. We talked about or mentioned Josh Allen, He's not that much of a passer, but as a whole position, he does the job pretty well. But I know some guys, I mean, it was it Catullus hate, hates Jameis Winston as an NFL quarterback. <laughs> but at the other, on the other hand, there's some some things to be said about maybe maybe all offenses should be doing what they did. You just need to cut back on some of the turnovers, but really we, we talk about how passing is the, you know, you know, the, the expected points winner. That's what you should be doing. Why aren't we just letting guys do that? Um, does it bother you that maybe there's a disconnect between the, the fantasy point scoring and the, the, uh, evaluation the real life of NFL quarterback reality, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it bothers me. Um, I think that it, it, again, it, first of all, it gets a little overblown. Um, but second, you know, it, it, m- most of this stuff kind of comes out in the wash. Like I know that Derek Carr ended up being a, a pretty a, a proficient scorer in Scott Fishbowl scoring last year. Um, but you know, for in, in, he did it largely with, you know, dumping down a lot, but, uh, you know, I, I don't, he, he, he wasn't going to win anybody, the Scott fish bowl, you know, and it, there's, there's definitely some poetic justice in that, I suppose. Um, there were also a lot of, of court, you know, quarterbacks in that same vein who, I mean, they, they weren't all that good. You know, it, it Kyle Allen was absolutely horrible even in Scott Fishbowl scoring. And, you know, there's honestly not a huge difference between the way Derek Carr plays and the way Kyle Allen plays. It's really just kind of a, just kind of worked out that way for one season. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it, you, you, you would have been right if you gambled on Derek Carr instead of, you know, Kyle Allen. Um, or, you know, some of those, some of the other, you know, safe kind of dump down type of court, Marcus Mariota. I love Marcus Mariota, but you know, if you hit bet on Mariota instead of Derek Carr last year, 
you would have got absolutely crushed. So, you know, it's, it's not something to chase, you know, the idea that this guy's going to have a high completion percentage because he dumps it off a lot. It It's, it's still, you know, it's, it's still very bad process to try and chase that. And so, you know, I, I, I'll accept the fact that Derek Carr ended up having a better season than, you know, than, than what he actually is. Um, but yeah, it, doesn't it it doesn't move the needle for me it doesn't influence my analysis well because and i maybe you already answered this essentially because what i was where i'm going with this is when i looked at the scott fishbowl scoring and i saw how week to week you've got quarterbacks even aaron Rodgers, down in the single digits um and i just wondered you know, can we get it to the point if we change the scoring enough? Again, then maybe it's not really resembling reality or real NFL very well. So we kind of have to watch out for how much we tweak it. But I was able to tweak, just tweaked it a little bit with Scott Fishbowl. I think I, I changed it to, to 0.8, uh, negative 0.8 for an incompletion and, and positive 0.4 for positive uh, completion few of the little little tweaks um and i was able to get the 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 differences between the positions even tighter um while at the same time having a clear drop off in quarterbacks after top 20 at least according to averages and so Mm. I, i wondered if can we get it to the point with quarterbacks where that risk of a bad week um that uh, they don't have that safe floor because so often we say, and I've heard you say, you know, you're going to score, you're going to put a quarterback in that super flex spot because mm-hmm. you trust that they're going to give you a higher floor than some other random flex kind of level wide receiver or running back. Unless you happen mm-hmm. to have a running back that's like, you know, because the injury is now the starter and might put up 20 points, but even then, the quarterback could just as easily put up 20 points and we're almost scoring. If you take away that safe floor now and you add a level of uncertainty um, and also just lower points as a whole, do can, could we get to the point where you'd, you'd accept the, the idea of starting the other positions in a super flex spot instead of another quarterback? Has Scott Fishbowl yeah. done that for you or gotten gone far enough for you to do that? I think so. I I think there I, I think Scott's scoring is about as as close as it's ever going to get. And you know, so but there's still a couple problems. So first of all, you know, you're you still have to so you have to start three wide receivers, you have to start two running backs, and then you still have three flex spots before you even get to super flex. So, you know, essentially what that leaves you with is, you know, who who has the higher floor between, you know, your quarterback two, whoever it is, any starting NFL quarterback, and, you know, a, a wide receiver seven, or a running back six, you know, so, you know, we're talking about the, the really, the, the bottom of the barrel 
in order to start one of those other positions at Superflex over a quarterback. And that's that's really hard to do, you know. So I I just I don't know that we could get to that point anyways, where you're just so loaded at wide receiver that you know you can't really justify it. It, it, it you know at least considering a quarterback um, as super flex because because it, you know even though because the quarterbacks still have. You know they they've got a pretty easy path to twenty points, twenty fantasy points every single week. Now it becomes matchup dependent, but you know you're going to at least consider the quarterback every single week. If you're putting, you know, Dwayne Haskins, you're you know he he's still we don't he doesn't really have a floor, but we know that he's got you know, the potential for at least 20 points just by virtue of playing the quarterback position and, you know, the scoring that that they do get, you know, you're putting him up against, uh, you know, uh, trying to come up with a wide receiver seven at this point, which, I mean, it's it's way down the list. Maybe uh, John Ross, Alshon Jeffrey, you know, Corey Davis, like those are the type of guys that you would be putting them up against. And man, I just, I, I don't think very, like it would have to be a pretty bad matchup for Dwayne Haskins, um, before you're going to bench him for one of those guys, you know? So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that there's really a way to do it, to be honest. Like the 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 one thing that you could potentially do is, you know, and this this kind of gets into the 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 next question. So maybe I should let you actually tee that one up first. No, go ahead, because I mean that's where I'm going with this. Obviously, it's something I did kind of put together with this this uh, getting back to what I referenced at the very beginning. My charity league, I'm kind of doing this fusion flex thing I put together, which. I changed the the scoring up a little bit and I, I just my goal was what what if we use take what Scott did here with the scoring and kind of take it to I think its ultimate conclusion which is what if we just get rid of those flexes and just make them all super flexes mm-hmm. you know and uh I think we need to get rid of a, the third wide receiver slot um mm-hmm as far as a, a dedicated and just have one dedicated quarterback two running back two wide receiver, one tight end, and then give you three super flexes and give you a scoring, which does. Yeah. If you want to go that direction of, and to me, that's a bit of a f- philosophical debate, but I know some people say that, uh, some people view scoring as a good scoring, just by if the the positions are equal or if they're the the same number of uh positions up up in the top 12 you know there's a lot of different ways you can define it and i to me i prefer to define scoring as good if you can win in a number of different ways to me that's that's a successful scoring is if there's not just one way to win it 
Mm -hmm. Um, If there's just one way to win it, then you just created a system that it's just whoever figures it out first wins. And that's not really successful scoring to me. Yeah. What if we get rid of those flexes and just make them all super flexes and uh, diminish quarterbacks enough that you're hesitant to start them? Maybe you will have to go for that safe floor. Yeah. So, and here's the problem. And this is also the, you know, part of the problem in the Scott Fishbowl is you still, so you have to start a quarterback every week. So let's say that you, let's say that your quarterback one is, is Kyler Murray, like me, you know? Um, I, so I know that Kyler Murray has a week eight bye, which means I have to roster a second quarterback. Uh, just if nothing else, just for that bye week. So, you know, so I go get, uh, let's say I, I, you know, I ultimately ended up with Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert for my bye week uh, replacements because I accidentally took Drew Locke. Well, it, it wasn't an accident, but I accidentally ended up with my top two quarterbacks with the same bye week. So now I have to go get Tyrod Taylor to be my uh, my week eight quarterback one. Just by virtue of having him on the roster, he's going to be one of my top options at, at a super flex position at all times. Um, just a, again, you know, the just because of the the potential, um, you know, kind of the the median scoring for a you know an average week for a quarterback is just you know so much better than an average week at any other position. Um. You know, so so he's going to be in the conversation at Superflex every week. Drew Locke is going to be in the conversation at Superflex every week. And I'm most likely going to start one of those two guys at Superflex every week. Um, but the only reason that I even have those two on my roster is because, you know, I've got that quarterback spot. And if Kyler Murray gets hurt, I need somebody to, to plug in at QB1 if you know, when Kyler Murray's on by, I need somebody to hold down QB one for me. And, you know, at that point, I'm probably starting a non quarterback at, at super flex. But, you know, again, the, the entire reason that I'm even rostering Tyrod Taylor is because I have to make sure that quarterback one is filled at all times. So to me, the fix is get rid of starting requirements. Definitely get rid of this, the quarterback starting requirement. Instead, like turn that into a super flex. Um, I would, my personal opinion is I would also get rid of starting running back, starting wide receiver and starting tight end as well. Just have two super flex spots and the rest are just flex spots. But, um, and maybe even just one super flex spot that might even, that might be the way that you finally just completely nerf the quarterbacks. But um, and I've been in leagues that were nothing but super flex spots too. Yes, um, so. yeah, Swags does those. Yeah, and it, yeah, and those are nuts. I mean, you you really have to nerf the quarterback scoring for that. Otherwise, you know, whoever whoever just goes goes nuts on the quarterbacks and just loads up on them. I mean, they're 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 gonna win. You know, they're gonna dominate because even when one of your quarterbacks has a down week, you still have, you know, what, seven, eight other guys, whatever it is, nine other guys who are all going to score better than, 
you know, 90% of the league. So, you know, I, I think that, I think that you have to limit the number of super flex spots. And I think that you have to get rid of the quarterback spot altogether. That's, that's the way that you really dilute the quarterbacks to a point where, you know, you're, you're not necessarily starting them at, at super flex. That is actually something I, and I agree. I was considering whether to go with the the single, still required one quarterback. And you actually you made some even strong points I hadn't thought about about how just by having it you have to you have to have one. And then just because you have one and he has a bye, you have to have two. And so now you've required everyone to to carry pretty much two, and now you've limited the flexibility in everyone's uh, strategies and approaches. So maybe Mm -hmm. that would be the way to go. Uh, The other thing I did have in there was a dedicated uh, receiver flex. So it was receiver or or tight end. Um, Something I wanted to to experiment with a little bit. That's something I'll have to look into. Maybe maybe we just get rid of that quarterback one spot altogether. Um, But as far as the scoring, I mean – I do think I succeeded just going off of the average scoring, the average points for the uh, for their positional rank. So the over the past three years, using averages with the scoring that I kind of put together, um, the quarterback one is 411, running back one average is 436, wide receiver one is only 344. But the tight end one is also 344. Now, obviously, that right receiver and quarterback one averages are really high. So when you drop down to, let's just say, quarterback six, it's 305. Running back six, 306. Wide receiver six, 280. Tight end six, 224. It starts dropping off. And we go all the way down to quarterback. And this is kind of the line I kind of shot for here was quarterback 20, all the positional 20s. Quarterback is 198. Running back is 200. Wide receiver is 211. Uh, tight end, of course, falls off by then at 126. But you were saying about how you, you get that late in uh, – are you going to start Tyrod or are you going to start your uh, fifth wide receiver, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure in this scoring – I'm not sure you you would be better off scoring uh, just starting the wide receiver, because when you get outside of the top 20 quarterbacks, uh, the wide receivers, uh, and even the running back, but particularly the wide receivers, just because there's more of them, are scoring a much higher average. Of course, it's an average. And uh, mm-hmm. week-to-week, matchup-to-matchup, player-by-player is going to depend. But that that's kind of was my goal here. Because by the time you get down to quarterback 32, it's 94 points. And the running back is 157, wide receiver is 177 still. So they're still putting up uh, more consistent points. And if you have a large enough uh, raw starting lineup, you kind of you kind of insulate how much impact you know that one player can make. Um, and I I'm actually was struggling with that. I couldn't decide whether or not that longer larger lineup. Does that does that mean you can 
go ahead and feel free to start that quarterback because if he has that bad game, who who cares? You have 10 other starters playing that are going to give you points. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you go the other way and say, yeah, but if you have 11 players that are all putting up just average points, your total is going to beat out most teams. So I'm not really sure which way you know that would take. Or maybe that's maybe that's a good thing that I don't know. Maybe that just adds to my point of it being flexible. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because at the end of the day, if you've got quarterbacks on roster, if if you're forcing people to to roster quarterbacks, they're going to end up in people's lineups. You know, that's just kind of and and you know, even even when you think about like, you know, how they ended up scoring their total scoring for for the year, you still have to you know, break it down on a per game basis and you have to, and even then, like you have to isolate it and say, you know, like it, it's, it's still matchup dependent, you know, like if you had Sam Darnold, I mean, you probably would have benched him in that, in that game against the Patriots anyways, when he ended up scoring negative 39 points in this scoring, um, in the Scott Fishbowl scoring, you know, you probably would have benched him anyways, but then, you know, at the same time, he was going to run into, you know, Miami, who was a horrible defense against everything. And or, you were probably going to start him, you know, regardless of of what his per game average was, regardless of how much he ended up scoring at the end of the season, um, regardless of, you know, the the wide receivers that you have on roster and what they're doing. You were still going to start Sam Darnold against Miami. You know, you were still going to start him against. Arizona. I don't even know if they played Arizona last year, but you know, if the, it, in those juicy matchups, you're still starting the quarterback, and that's going to end up being the case most of the time. So, would a smaller starting lineup actually maybe uh, be more effective way of yep. uh, lessening that impact because you do have a, a higher quality player at a different position that's an option instead of the quarterback yep yeah yeah smaller lineups probably smaller rosters a little bit too and again yeah get rid of the quarterback requirement okay i will have to take that under advisement i am finalizing this like i said (laughs) there's only a couple of guys in there uh, and I'm getting ready to put it out there on Twitter and just make it public and, and, and get anyone else in there. But if anyone who's listening to this is interesting, uh, interested in this, let me know on Twitter at FusionFFB or, of course, email FusionFFB at gmail.com. Yeah, hit me up. Let me know. It's $25 uh, at this point. Uh, Charity League. I'm gonna have I'm gonna provide a trophy for the winner, and uh, I know there might be some other prizes. We'll see, but uh, yeah, you can get in on something new here. Try it out. Help me. Uh, we'll figure this out. All right, uh, John. Any other thoughts you had? No, that's uh, that's pretty much it. We covered a lot, man. So yeah. <laughs> we better. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that pretty much tapped me out. And I still have to do another uh I have to do super flexible in the morning. So um I, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna have any material for those guys. <laughs> no. You can we, use some online, steal some of this, then no one will know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I might just. I might I mean I might have to. Plus I can't stop talking about Aaron Rodgers. There's kind of no way to do it. I, I could talk about that man forever. So um, but yeah, I, uh, I guess the one thing that I would plug is, you know, like I said earlier, um, I, I'm, I am writing that, uh, that multi-part series. I don't even know how many volumes I'm going to end up putting in that thing, but it's called a super flex life and it's available at dynastyleaguefootball.com right now. Uh, volume one is out and it's just, it, it really just kind of goes over why to play super flex. Um, but we're going to get into strategy quite a bit and uh, um, player values and, and stuff like that. And it's going to get pretty, pretty deep, pretty intense when it comes to Superflex. So I would highly recommend all Superflex players check out that series. That sounds really interesting. So that check that out. That's on DynastyLeagueFootball.com. Uh, Be sure to check that out. And... Be sure to follow John on Twitter at SuperFlexDude. John, I appreciate you coming on and hanging out with me so long. Um, I'm really glad we got to to hang out, see each other face to face here, and uh, hope we can. Uh, we'll see how this all goes, Scott Fishbowl. Yeah, man, uh, Josh, really appreciate you just having me on and and kind of the way you did it too. <laughs> like I I, I needed. Uh, I, I, I needed a positive interaction uh, in a bad, bad way, and there you were. So um, thank you for, uh, you know, for, for not only bringing me on, but kind of restoring my faith in this fantasy football community. Uh, you, you came in wearing the white hat when, uh, when I, I definitely needed it. Yeah, that's no problem. Hey, you just need to hang out with the right people. That's all. That's all. You just need to hang out with the right people. Uh, they're still out there. They're still out there. Don't don't get any too many uh, Twitter fights there, John. <laughs> <laughs> I got easier some, said some than good done. advice from from uh, some people. Just don't don't. I need that advice too. I think I got in too many lately too. That, so that's <laughs> why you you out there listening. If you're still there, don't get any Twitter fights. It's not worth it. <laughs> not worth it, man. <laughs>